Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Governor Gavin Newsom has declared a state of emergency as part of California's ongoing response to the monkeypox outbreak. In a statement, Newsom said the state is using testing, contact tracing, and community partnerships to make sure that those who are most at risk are getting vaccines, treatment, and outreach. Among other things, the declaration will bolster efforts by emergency medical providers to administer monkeypox vaccines. Nearly 800 monkeypox cases have been confirmed in California, mostly among men in the LGBTQ community. Meanwhile, in San Francisco, the city's main public hospital plans to distribute more monkeypox vaccine today. KQED's Sarah Hosseini reports people waited in lines that stretched for several blocks on Monday to get the shot. After days of waiting for its next vaccine allocation, San Francisco received its total for the coming week last Friday, the same day as the city declared its own state of emergency related to the virus. The delivery included 4,220 doses, nearly half of which came to Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. Hospital officials say they administered 950 vaccines Monday. The few people that were turned away were told to return Tuesday morning, with the week's supply expected to finish by midweek. Officials say the city's new state of emergency allows them to mobilize staff, contractors, and other resources to help with testing and vaccination, as well as data gathering in order to identify groups at higher risk. At the moment, that includes men who have sex with men. For the California Report, I'm Sarah Hosseini. The McKinney Fire, the largest wildfire in the state this year, continues to burn in Siskiyou County near the California-Oregon border. Cooler weather overnight helped slow the growth in the massive blaze. It's now burned more than 56,000 acres, and there's still no containment. Crews have been able to take advantage of the weather to build containment lines around the town of Wairika, where homes are threatened by the fire. For the latest on the blaze, we spoke earlier this morning with Eric Newman, interim news director of Jefferson Public Radio, who's in Ashland, Oregon. We first asked him what led to the massive growth of the blaze. The fire started on Friday. There, there have been very strong winds that have been connected to a thunderstorm that's been kind of sitting over this area. And its growth has really been from these dry winds and very strong conditions that have let the fire spread really fast. Um, I should say that the cause of the fire is still under investigation, even though there has been a lot of lightning. So officials are still trying to determine that part. And it's been like really hot, right, in Northern California and in Southern Oregon. We have been experiencing a heat wave in recent weeks. So the temperature around Wairika has been over 100 degrees for probably the last two weeks. We're in the midst of a red flag warning and hazardous weather conditions. So the combination of these things plus these gusty winds from thunderstorms have really just allowed this fire to spread pretty rapidly. And what do we know when it comes to both evacuations and casualties from the fire? Yeah, so there have been two people who were found dead in the path of the fire around the community of Klamath River. They so far have been unidentified, according to the Siskiyou County Sheriff. Last night, they said there's still unanswered questions about who these people are. They were found in a vehicle that had burned in the fire. 
and they're still trying to ID them and deal with next of kin issues. Beyond that, there's around 2,000 people who have been evacuated from these small communities and the Wairika area. And so a lot of these small communities are really in shock right now. And what kind of resources are being thrown in to fight the blaze? As of last night, there were over 1,700 firefighters, I believe, on the incident. There are uh, firefighters from around California, from Oregon. Uh, there's even assistance coming from Arizona right now. And that, in one way, is one of the good takeaways from the conditions on this fire. There are firefighting resources available to help, which is not always the case if there's a ton of different fires burning around the state. During a public meeting last night, officials were really optimistic that they had the tools that they needed to attack the fire. And you're speaking to us from Ashland, Oregon. How is the blaze affecting things like air quality in your part of the state? It's smoky. Um, it's been smoky here for the last few days. It sort of has moderated with the wind. The air here has been in the unhealthy category off and on. So we've had a pretty long break from smoke season and fire season this summer in Oregon, but um, we're kind of getting a taste of it now for the first time. All right. That is Eric Newman of Jefferson Public Radio. Eric, thanks for joining us on the California Report. Thanks very much. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're going to turn to Sacramento now. No doubt tanned and rested, state legislators returned from their summer recess yesterday for the final month of the legislative session. Here to talk about the work ahead in the state capitol and what lawmakers have been up to during their time off is reporter Emily Hoven. Emily writes the daily What Matters newsletter on California politics for Cal Matters. Hey, Emily. Hey, Saul. Thanks for having me. So let's start with pending legislation. What are some of the highest profile bills with the biggest impact on Californians that legislators are going to be grappling with over the next month? There's quite a few. They are going to vote on some 800 plus bills um, over the course of the next month, which, you know, if they don't pass by August 31st, they're dead for the year. So kind of running through some of the highest profile ones, lawmakers are considering more than a dozen bills to increase access to uh, abortion. 
Another bill that was sort of in response to a Supreme Court ruling is a bill that would comply with the the high court's ruling on expanding gun rights, but would also make California's concealed carry weapon law more restrictive. Lawmakers are also going to decide whether to allow kids 15 and older to get vaccinated without parental consent. And this would apply not only to the COVID vaccine, but other types of vaccinations as well. They're going to vote on Governor Gavin Newsom's very controversial proposal to force severely mentally ill Californians into treatment and housing. They're going to decide whether to create this contentious board that would basically allow the state to negotiate wages, hours, and work conditions for the entire fast food industry. This bill failed last year, but they're hoping to bring it back again this year. So that's a very brief overview of of some of the yeah, hundreds of bills are going to be voting on in the coming weeks. Is there a sense at this point in the legislative year, is there a sense that, you know, hey, the clock is ticking and we really got to churn through all of these or inevitably do say more than half of these bills get left by the roadside? It's definitely crunch time in Sacramento. And I think when it's crunch time, you see a lot of weird things happen. In 2020, there was this tensions between the the state Senate and the state assembly that basically blocked bills from getting sent to the governor, even though it They were basically cleared to pass. They had votes to pass. Um, And this year, there has been some very intense divides in in the assembly, basically among the Democratic caucus. The current speaker of the assembly, Anthony Rendon, Um, has been fending off some challenges to his leadership, um, including by um, Assemblymember Robert Rivas of Hollister. And he basically tried earlier this year to install himself as the next speaker. He said he had enough votes to do it. It ended up not happening. And so, you know, kind of behind the scenes where I'm hearing a lot of rumblings from Capital Insider saying that that rift between this, the Democrats to support Rendon, the current speaker, and the Democrats that support Revis, his challenger, could ultimately determine whether some bills get silently killed and left on the on the wayside, as it as it were, um, and which bills end up advancing. So we've been talking about what legislators are going to be doing now that they're back on the job, but you have also been looking into what they were doing during their summer recess. What did you find, and why is it important that we know what they're doing? Yeah, so you know when the lawmakers are not in Sacramento, um, many of them are actually embarking on these so-called junkets that are basically trips abroad um, that are often funded by special interest groups that lobby these very same lawmakers over a variety of issues. Some of the trips that lawmakers went to this summer, the Irish Legislative Caucus went to Ireland. It's sort of unclear what they were doing, but the trip was sponsored in part by the pharmaceutical industry. A group of lawmakers also went to Israel. They met with political leaders in in Israel and and in Palestine. And another group went to Maine and Canada for this sort of um, environmental research tour. It's just it's a really interesting thing what they're up to in the summer because these are trips that are very much out of the public eye. You know, I try to get myself to go on some of them to kind of report on it, but you know, it's not really open to the press, not really open to the public. It's not paid for by taxpayers. So there's not a lot of transparency surrounding it, but it's just important to note that people that are trying to get lawmakers to do certain things are funding these trips and um, basically having the opportunity to kind of share their agenda in different, in different ways and forms. 
All right. That is Emily Hoven. She's a journalist who writes the daily What Matters newsletter at CalMatters. You can subscribe at calmatters.org. Thanks so much, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. Visitors to Redwood National Forest on the North Coast could be fined and even face jail time if they're caught trying to get too close to the world's tallest tree. KQED's Anais Ofelia Lino reports. Park officials are warning visitors to stay off unmarked trails to the tree known as Hyperion or face a $5,000 fine and up to six months jail time. Program manager Lionel Arguello says they found damaged vegetation and human waste in the areas around the massive tree. He says they're also concerned with visitor safety since there is no official trail. And if we don't have a trail there, we don't have any facilities to support visitors. So we, we were trying to get people to not go, but we got to a tipping point at the end of last year uh, that we decided to put a closure in the compendium. A permit is now required to view Hyperion, and Arguello says regular ranger patrols will keep watch on the area. For the California Report, I'm Anais Ofelialino. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, August 2nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and talk tomorrow. Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!